This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, my friends, to another episode of Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin, and I am your host for today's show, and I am excited to speak to all of you today. It is June 9th, one of my favorite days of the year. Summer is here, baseball is here, and I'm going to talk baseball in this show for sure. Cubs in the news for a lot of the wrong reasons. Not only are they not really playing well, but now they have to deal with this domestic violence accusation surrounding Addison Russell and his family. Major League Baseball is investigating it. The Cubs are doing their due diligence. So got to dive into that topic. It's unfortunate, but I'm going to talk about it. Also, in lighter news, we're going to talk about a really good team in Major League Baseball, potentially arguably the best team in Major League Baseball, and that's the Washington Nationals. Going to dive into that conversation because they've been impressive. They have a lot of good hitters in that lineup. Ryan Zimmerman right now looks to be a potential MVP candidate, but you know they got some problems in their bullpen, so we're going to have a conversation about the Nationals. It's going to be fun. And since, you know, it's the middle of summer, right, football is a little bit a ways away, and I love talking my Bears on behind the pen I'm going to kind of go back and look at 2016 and really look at it and say, are they really that bad, the Chicago Bears? Are they really 3-13 and bad? Spoiler alert, yeah, kind of. But they're not as bad as they may seem on paper. I'm going to dive into all of this. I'm going to talk about all of this. Hopefully you can stay tuned for the entirety of this podcast on blogtalkradio.com backslash behind the pen. Lots of stuff coming at your way. If you'd like to listen to these segments in increments, check out our YouTube channel on most valuable podcast. Subscribe. If you're checking in because this first segment will be the Chicago Cubs segment, drop a like and a comment down below and then check out the rest of the segments if you could or if you have not already. That'd be fantastic. We appreciate the support. If you want to become a patron, support me, support Most Valuable Podcast. We will continue to try and entertain you more so than we already do. Now, now that the necessities are out of the way, necessities, necessities, we're talking Chicago Cubs. And I hate it. Because I'm a Cubs fan, you know, coming off a World Series win, I expected them to kind of run the National League like, not really like they did last year, but I felt like this roster, not a lot of changes to it. They're still going to be the team to beat in the National League. That's not the case this year, and that's far from it. I'll be the first to tell you the Cubs have been underwhelming, and it's not been fun to watch this team up, what, two and a half months into this season now, everybody's saying, oh, you know, they're fine, things will be fine, it's still early, April, you know, whatever, it's fine, May comes along, oh, they're still getting into the groove of things, they'll, they'll get better, the pitching will come around, well, it's June 9th, and things are not really, well, they're, I don't even know how to describe it, because they're hovering around 500 right now, they're, they're getting a little better, there's, there's something to be a little more enthusiastic, a little more optimistic about, as opposed to the beginning of this season, but right now they're just in a, in a rut, and uh, this news surrounding Addison Russell doesn't help in the slightest, so I want to talk about that, and then I'm also going to talk about the Cubs season to this point as a whole, realistically, when we look at this conversation, it's not going to be a good one. Anybody who wants to defend Addison Russell, that's fine, you know, but because right now it's just an allegation and I'm going to I'm going to talk about really how all of this started and how it occurred because it's it's really it's it's odd. Um it's social media, the age of social media has taken over and and players are under a microscope and it's very very damaging to really their their persona. Right, their their personal lives are put on blast a lot of the time via social media, 
because you have to be careful. One wrong move. These guys are all up in it, the media. When I say these guys, they're all up in it when something controversial or, or what have you comes up. They're going to they're gonna write about it. But this is absolutely serious, and this is actually kind of uh, concerning when you when you look into it. First of all, Addison Russell hasn't really had a very good season to this point. Addison Russell has been struggling at the plate. He's batting 209 with a 626 OPS. He's striking out a ton. He's not really... He's got three home runs. He's not swinging at his pitches. He's not making consistent contact that we're used to seeing. And maybe this had something to do with it because this didn't just occur out of nowhere, this kind of domestic violence accusation. This must have been played out for a while now. So maybe that has something to do with his struggles. But let's kind of bring up where we're at right now. So first of all, the other day, this is uh, June 7th, this this was posted. And today, or a couple days later... All of this started yesterday, the eighth. So a lot of the a lot of the dicking started yesterday. So as I record this, none of this right now for Addison Russell has been determined. But where we're at right now, I have to talk about it. So apparently, Addison Russell's wife posted not apparently she did. Addison Russell's wife posted a photo on Instagram saying with a caption, "Being free to be able to make your own choices for your own happiness beats being cheated on." lied to and disrespected any day. Hashtag here's to new beginnings. Hashtag only gets better from here. Which kind of is super personal, right? I mean, just putting Addison Russell on blast, we really have no backstory. We could just assume that it's not good that Addison Russell or, I don't know, I'm not diving, I'm not, I don't want to make assumptions, but from this, seems like Addison Russell did a no-no. It gets worse because it had to, now this was blown into the proportion that it is now because the comment that was left was by a close family friend or somebody that was very highly associated with the Russell family, with Madison Russell's wife. This was the comment by Carly Reed. Um, Carly R. Reed is the username. Hateful is cheating on your wife, mentally and physically abusing her. Melissa didn't want that. Melissa being Russell's wife. Melissa didn't want that out. But I'll say it, he hit her in front of Aiden and Mila. Mila, sorry. But let's worry about Melissa being hateful. She was loyal, forgiving, and kind. Still is. She found condoms in his apartment yesterday. Should I keep the list going? That was a comment on Melissa Russell's, or yeah, Melissa Russell's Instagram post. This is not, this is bad. Because this, like I said, a close family friend, literally coming out and writing it all out for the world to see. And, of course, the media is going to eat it up. And now Major League Baseball is going to get in, into their investigation of the allegation. Now, what is interesting, well, of course, they deleted the post. And from here, now they're in their, their investigation states. Now, oh, man, which means Cubs have to issue a statement. And Addison Russell has to issue a statement. Addison Russell is not suspended yet. Theo Epstein, interestingly enough, said that, well, yesterday he didn't participate, Addison Russell, he didn't come to the field, but he said, Epstein said, he's not suspended yet, right? That's interesting that he said yet. So we're looking at it. Here's the statement Addison Russell said. Any allegation I have abused my wife is false and hurtful, Russell said in a statement issued Thursday afternoon, which was yesterday. For the well-being of my family... I'll have no further comment. Last night, we were made aware of a serious claim posted on social media about Addison Russell. 
Cubs said in a statement on Thursday. We reached out to Major League Baseball and following the protocol established by Major League Baseball, we will fully cooperate with the commissioner's office as it gathers pertinent facts. Addison will not be in uniform tonight. We'll allow him to work through this matter. So that's the statement from the Cubs. And then also Addison Russell issued a statement. Guys on the team were talking about it. They didn't want to get into it because they're not going to incriminate themselves. They said it's unfortunate. It's a terrible situation. Now, we can look back, and it's very easy to look back, at when Theo Epstein acquired Aroldis Chapman, and a lot of people, including myself, were against the move. I understand what the value was in bringing in Chapman. Hell, he carried them in the back end of the bullpen late in the game, pretty much throughout the entire postseason, and we all know that. However, that had to damage the PR aspect of the Chicago Cubs. They're not as likable when you're bringing on a guy when you know Aroldis Chapman shot warning gunshots seven times at his fiance or girlfriend or wife or whatever that was. You remember that story? Now, Addison Russell is put, being put on blast on this. Now, nothing, of course, is set in stone. No, none of this has been confirmed to be true. However, when you're dealing with domestic violence, especially what had, it, it, like the, the epidemic that it's been throughout Major League Baseball and all of sports, the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, all of this, it's relevant. And it's, it's a credit to Major League Baseball, first of all, in taking care of this business straight up and, and doing what has to be done. And I don't care if you're a biased fan. I don't care if you want to defend Addison Russell as, oh, well, he, you know, what he means to the team, what his personality, this isn't his character. You don't know that. You don't know his personal life. You don't know what he's going through. You don't know how he is off the field. These guys, sometimes as a fan, we forget that they live, these athletes live a personal life outside of the field. They're like robots for our, our entertainment, right? We see them in uniform and they're these larger than life characters who just entertain us and we have something to cheer about. But then off the field, they're regular people like us, of course, really talented and rich and famous and all of that, but they're people. And this is a problem. Addison Russell is dealing with something that could have a lasting effect on his career, and it could have a lasting effect on the image of the Chicago Cubs. And it's unfortunate because we've already seen guys like Yuri's Familia, Hector Oliveira, Jose Reyes, those guys have already been accused and suspended for domestic violence. This is, this is terrible. This is terrible stuff. I mean, it's just, just simplest terms, it's awful because it's a nightmare for the Cubs to have to deal with. It's an awful perception given by the fans now towards the Chicago Cubs as an organization because now you have not only a role as Chapman being brought in, the idea that Chapman was brought in for the good of the team in terms of a baseball sense to win the ultimate goal. Can you come to terms with that? Yes, you have a ring. Can you come to terms with that knowing that you know he's abusive to his partner? And that's the same thing that goes now for Addison Russell. Now, nothing, like I said, has been completely confirmed. But we got to keep an eye on the story, and I just wanted to bring light on the subject. And I want to move on, though, into the Chicago Cubs season right now as a whole because it hasn't been very good. And you, you add on top of the, the struggles within Addison Russell's personal life, overall, the Chicago Cubs team has not been productive. Offensively, they're being carried pretty much by Chris Bryant. He's doing almost everything statistically offensively for this club. And their starting rotation has been rocky, to say the least. Now, guys have been starting to make better starts uh, as of late. John Lackey, for example, has been pitching well 
However, he's had a pretty terrible first couple months of the season, but his last few starts have been looking more like the John Lackey we're used to. When we talk about a guy like Jake Arrieta, too, he threw a ton of innings over the last couple seasons, an absolute buttload, especially in 2015, coming off, what is it, almost 240 innings pitched, including the postseason. Then you added on to last year's performance in which Arietta didn't really miss a start, pitched in the postseason as well. So it's a lot of tax on this guy's arm, and his velocity hasn't been there. It hasn't been there since the start of the season. So that forces him to start throwing more breaking pitches. More breaking pitches, he's been giving up a lot of hard contact to that. And when you can't overpower guys, because remember, he wasn't really a guy who could manipulate the corners with his fastball because of his mechanics. Sometimes the location of his, of his pitches were, well, sometimes really good, and then other times you didn't know what was going to happen. So you kind of had a change of philosophy in the way Jake Arrieta approaches the way he attacks hitters, and that's resulted in kind of a struggle this season as well. Overall, it hasn't been terrible. Of course, I'm not going to say he's been awful, but at the same time, he's starting to regress. And remember, the Cubs were kind of in contract talks with him after that Cy Young season, but now, in his last year of his contract, he has a 4-6 ERA with a 1-3-0 whip. I mean, it's nothing special. It's really nothing special. Kyle Hendricks is hurt currently, but he's been... Knocked around a little bit. He's been missing a lot because, of course, he's the manipulator of his pitches, the off-speed pitches, works the corners, and, and this and that. He's been hit hard pretty much the, uh, all season long. John Lester, he's the stable guy. I, I really can't say bad anything really bad about John Lester, despite a couple terrible starts. But John Lester will carry you. John Lester's a guy who is a legitimate ace of your rotation. But overall, Pitching staff has been inconsistent, and the defense has been inconsistent. And that's been a problem compared to last year. Starting rotation absolutely carried this team, 100%. The offense scored a decent amount of runs, right, especially during the first two months of the season when the Cubs had a tremendous start. But it was the pitching, and it was the bullpen, and it was the defense. Defense has been shaky, especially when you have a guy like Schwarber in left field, and you have guys kicking it around in the infield here and there, which is Something that we haven't seen. We're not used to in a Joe Madden-led club. That's been a part of the problem. Offensively, they've been struggling. Rizzo hasn't been the same. And I, I think it has to be said, with the amount of games that's being played, this could be you could label this as, as an excuse, but I just wanted to make this known that all of the games, the Cubs start, what, the last game of the season, they stopped on November 2nd, Was they, they won the World Series. And then, of course, you have the short off season. You get into spring training. That's a lot of games. You have to play 35 to 40 games of spring training ball, in which, first of all, in my opinion, that's ridiculously too long. But you have that, and then you add on the amount of games, what is it, 100 games before the All-Star break? So that's almost an entire season. Plus, you you know combine that with last year and the, the length that they played in the playoffs, these guys are going to be exhausted, especially the arms. And we're seeing it specifically with Jake Arrieta and guys like John Lackey, and who is getting older, John Lackey, last year of his contract, right? Who knows what's going to happen with him moving forward. And that's another concern for the Cubs. You know, last year looked great. Last year we were like, yeah, this team's going to be in the World Series every single year for the next 20 years. Of course, that's hyperbole, but you know what I'm saying. That's the confidence level we had. Not, Not so much this year. What are the Cubs going to do about their pitching rotation moving forward? Arietta's most likely going to walk, in my opinion. I think he's going to be gone after this season. John Lackey needs to be replaced. He's going to be gone after this season. They don't have a fifth starter this season. They're throwing out 
Brett Anderson, who is garbage, Eddie Butler, and Mike Montgomery now has to fill spot starts because, you know, guys are hurt. Kyle Hendricks is hurt. They don't have a back end of the rotation, and their middle of the rotation is iffy at best. So this is cause for concern. And the thing is, too, they don't have guys in the minor leagues to fill those roles. They don't have pitchers in the minor leagues. Theo Epstein stockpiled positional depth, right? And that allowed him to get guys like Montgomery. He traded Vogelbach for Montgomery, which ultimately led to a World Series ring. He traded, you know, Gleyber Torres, right? And and Billy McKinney, a guy who was acquired in that Addison Russell deal when they traded Samarja and Hamill. He was a part of that Aroldis Chapman deal, which ultimately led to a World Series. But that's the Epstein's mantra. You had stackpile positional depth, top prospects to deal and acquire arms or invest in arms in the offseason. Now the Cubs are going to have to make a move. The back end of the bullpen, this is what I will say. The bullpen looks shaky to start the season, but I'm I'm really excited to see guys like Grimm, C.J. Edwards, Wade Davis has been uh, outstanding. Koji O'Hara has been a solid pickup. Uh, The back end of the bullpen is starting to take shape, and I'm fine with it. Pedro Strope's been outstanding as of late. So that's fine. They don't really have to go out and get a bullpen arm. Maybe a a middle relief guy, but... The focus has to be on the starting pitching, right? They're going to have to go get a guy maybe like Chris Archer. That might cost you a bias. Well, I don't even I don't even know who is worth trading at this point because you don't want to get rid of Elo Jimenez, in my opinion. You have to keep Ian Happ, in my opinion. Bias looks to be a guy that could be moved. Schwarber can't be moved. I don't care what anybody says. This is a struggle year for him at the plate, but he's too valuable of a hitter. And I know the defensive flaws he has in left field, but he's just too valuable of a player right now to give up on him after one season. So the Cubs have some work to do. That's exactly it. And especially with this Addison Russell case, this has to be taken care of. And, you know, it's really unfortunate the way it played out because it was pretty much out of nowhere. It was put on blast. Russell's wife posts that Instagram post, and then eventually a close family friend comes in and makes it 10 times worse and brings light to the situation. So the Cubs have to figure that out, and then they also have to figure it out on the field. And what are they going to do? Are they going to acquire a starter? Jason Vargas, a lefty who's been solid for the Royals? Who knows? So that's where the Cubs are at. They are looking up at the Brewers right now. Really, the thing is that's been good for them is that they're playing in a terrible division, a very mediocre division. So the Cubs can hover around 500 for as long as they want, get hot, and then suddenly take what is a five, six-game leave potentially in the NL Central. However, they got to play well enough to do that firsthand. So right there, I'm going to end it because the Cubs kind of stress me out, and I don't like it when they stress me out. But that's where they are right now. We'll keep you updated right here on Behind the Pen on the Addison Russell news as it, as it continues to play out. But stay tuned. We're going to talk more baseball moving on into the National League East with the Washington Nationals. And the Nationals are potentially the best team in, in baseball. Are they? I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say no, because the Houston Astros are also a part of the Major League Baseball scene, and the Astros are insane. They're what, off to one of the greatest starts since the Cubs did last year, right? And the best start in franchise history for the Astros. They're on pace to win up over 100 games, which is no surprise given their lineup and their starting rotation has been solid. Lance McCullough's been very good. Keuchel on the DL right now, but Keuchel, of course, is starting to take shape of the Keuchel that we're used to or starting to come to be used to seeing in that left-handed top-of-the-rotation piece. But we're talking Washington Nationals today because the Nationals are really darn good. And it sucks because 
Um, well, one, I'm a Cub fan, and the, the Nationals, of course, are going to be a threat to the Cubs if the Cubs do indeed make the playoffs. We don't know if that's going to happen because they've been bad. But right now they have a potential MVP in Ryan Zimmerman batting 362 with a 1-1-0-3 OPS. That's insane. A war of up almost three. He's got 17 home runs. He's almost got 50 RBI. He's been unreal. He's got 18 doubles. Ryan Zimmerman, a total resurgence at the plate this season. It's great to see he's been a consistent guy for the Nationals who contributes at the plate. Defensively struggled until he moved positions, right? He ended up playing first base. He could not play third base anymore. So Ryan Zimmerman's killing it. And that's great for the Nationals. Daniel Murphy continuing where he left off last season, batting 336 with an almost one OPS. Of course, Bryce Harper helps as well. When Bryce Harper is coming off a terrible season in, ter- in his standards, right? And, and Bryce Harper's standards last year was miserable. This season, he's absolutely dominating uh, opposing pitchers again, showcasing his power. He's got a 1068 OPS. He's got 15 home runs. The guy's just a monster, straight-up monster. So when you have guys like that and this lineup, this lineup is absolutely stacked. A lot of these guys are hitting up over 270, and that includes Trey Turner. Trey Turner, one of the most versatile young players that the game's seen, and I love watching Trey Turner. I love watching Trey Turner. He's so fun, and the fact that he's able to play shortstop is just such a bonus. He's one of the most valuable players on the team, one of the most valuable positions on the team, and you have a young stud in Turner, a guy like Corey Seager did it too, right? That That is something to absolutely be excited about if you're a Nationals fan. Harper, who knows where he's going to go after a couple years when he eventually hits free agency, but you can you can bank on Trey Turner for a while. That kid's exciting. He's explosive. He does so many things for you. But overall, right, and I didn't even mention he's got 21 stolen bases. Like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Anyway, this Nationals team is insane. And we talk about the lineup. That could, that could carry you. We also, and I say this all the time here on Behind the Pen, I always talk about the value in your rotation. You're not going to make a playoff run unless you have capable starting pitching. And what's this? The Nationals have it, right? Of course they have it with Max Scherzer leading the way. Max Scherzer, my favorite pitcher in the game, can ramp it up to 99 when he wants to, but sits 95 consistently, and it's just just effortless. I love watching Max Scherzer pitch. He's the man. He's the absolute boss at doing what he needs to right? What he needs to do as a starter. In 12 starts, he's got 10 quality starts. In 84 and a third innings pitched, he struck out 114. He's walked only 20. That's the fewest amount of walks among active starters for the Nationals. The guy, is, he's just so good. I just can't rave enough about the value in Max Scherzer. And that contract was so worth it. Absolutely worth it. 2-3-5 ERA for Scherzer. Steven Strasburg, 2-8-0. And he's healthy. Nationals fans have, well, I'm knocking on wood right now for you Nationals fans, but man, you got to be excited about Strasburg as well. Gio Gonzalez and Tanner Rorick. Gonzalez having a resurgent season after seeing some struggles here and there. He was very kind of inconsistent, right, coming back up, and, and, and now he's solid again this year in 74 and a third innings pitched. He's got a 1-3-7 whip. Eh, could be better, three zero three ERA, but he's striking out 65. You know, he's pitching a contact. He's not doing too much. He's not overpowering, of course, at this part of his career. He's not going to be the same guy that we've seen early with, you know, the White Sox, of course, and then they traded him twice. But anyway, we're looking at this Nationals rotation. They don't really have a five-starter. They were kind of hoping Joe Ross could be that guy, but he struggled mightily. Um, he's still striking out guys. He's got nasty stuff. He's not really walking guys, but he's just getting hit really hard 
And, you know, as a five-star, you can kind of live with Joe Ross every fifth day, but they're throwing out other guys too. So at this point, you know, you're just going to have to live with the kind of in and out of that fifth guy. But overall, if you can, you're talking about a staff to carry you in the postseason, Scherzer, Strasburg, Gonzalez, Rorick. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? That's World Series bound right there. That's money. The problem, though, and I think you guys know where I'm going with this, is that bullpen. This bullpen needs some needs some help, big time. Going into uh, entering June, uh, the Nationals bullpen had the worst ERA of any team in the National League. They had the highest whip of any team in the National League, and they had guys going on the DL. Matt Albers, first of all, shout out Matt Albers. Are you kidding me, Matt Albers? Look at this guy. Matt Albers on the season in 22 appearances. Who he's been overworked. Let's just let's just talk about that for a second. Signs a minor league deal coming into the 2017 season. He's got 23 innings pitched. He struck out 25, and he's got a 117 ERA and a 0.783 WHIP. The guy's been outstanding for the Nationals. But you can't keep relying on Matt Albers, right? And the back end of the bullpen, Coda Glover. Are you? I, I that. He's got limited major league experience. He's got very nasty stuff, right? Very, very outstanding stuff. However, th- you don't feel good about him. In limited st- appearances, a total of 41 games in the major league baseball uh, career for the 24-year-old. 4-3-4 ERA this season. Not terrible. He's got eight saves. However, you want a solidified guy who doesn't make you sweat every time it's a close game in the ninth inning, which means there are has, there has to be a move made by the Nationals. Has to be a move made by the Nationals at the deadline to acquire a back end piece. And there are arms that are going to be available. First of all, going back to the offseason, they tried acquiring Chris Sale. Can you imagine if the Nationals have Chris Sale in that rotation? I, 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 my mind would be, I don't know, I can't comprehend the damage that they would do in the National League if Sale, Scherzer, Rorick, Gonzalez. Oh my gosh, imagine. Anyway, they, we all know how that played out. And then you, you go out and get an Adam Eaton, who was on an absolute tear, and he's a very valuable piece. The Nationals fans, you know, you saw a little bit of him in center this year, not very valuable there, but at the plate, he was very good. Very, very good. And he's out for the year. Did a lot of damage to his knee and his, and his ankle, which is unfortunate. Because that would have been a huge boost to this lineup. However, the line's picking up the slack. Now, Nashville's got to pick up an arm. And here are the arms that are potentially available. Um, you know, it's June 9th, so more names are going to emerge. But these are the guys that are we, we kind of assume are going to be on the block. Kelvin Herrera of the Royals can be one of the most coveted arms on the market today. He's got 10 saves. ERA's not that impressive. However, he's a guy who has experience He's been involved in high-stress situations with the Royals in the postseason. A 1-2-6 ERA with 38 strikeouts and 28 and two-thirds postseason innings. So he'll get the job done. A guy, not Coda Glover. Guys, not him. It would, you know, you, you want someone who's been there. A guy who's stable. A guy who, you know, you can feel confident about without sweating your brains out. Calvin Herrera, now David Robinson. Guys, David Robertson of the White Sox. I'm a you know, Chicago guy, a homer. I'm not really a Sox fan, but I'm very familiar with the White Sox, and David Robinson is a solid piece. If the, if the Nationals end up kind of negotiating with the White Sox again, I understand that maybe Nationals fans aren't too happy with what they gave up for Eaton. That you know trade is still up for grabs. Eaton, of course, got hurt, which sucks, but 
White Sox have a year and a half of control of Robertson left, that would probably be a good thing for the Nationals. You know, get him for another year and a half. Depends what the value is placed on Robertson's head by Rick Hahn of the White Sox. But that's a name as well to look out for. Tony Watson, left-handed pitcher from the Pirates, 10 saves, I believe, entering June. I haven't really checked his numbers since, but he's been solid. Very good, uh, especially as a left-hander late in the game. You feel good about Watson. He's kind of emerged over the last few seasons as one of the best relievers in the game. Sean Doolittle, of course, has had experience late in the game. Obviously, he's a closer, but I'm just saying, you know, he's still one of the best in, in, in among the active markets. Also, Addison Reed, right? He's been a closer before, and he's starting to emerge, right, again as a guy who is rebuilding his career. You know, for a while he started, he was struggling, and now he's starting to get better. So in 25 appearances, a 3.28 ERA with six saves. That's entering June as well. Those are probably the high-profile names that the Nationals may look out for, but I got some honorable mentions as well. Mark Zepchimski of the Mariners, left-handed pitcher. Santiago Casilla, right-handed pitchers of the A's as well. Brad Hand of the Padres. He's a lefty. Joe Smith? Eh, maybe not. Pat Neshek. Right? Pat Neshek. If you want Pat Neshek, I would not advise trading for Pat Neshek to be the guy in the later innings. But he'll probably cost less than maybe the names aforementioned. However, the Nationals are in a a spot that many other teams would like to be in. Yeah, their bullpen is in question. Matt Albers is carrying that load. However, they're in a spot in which they can maneuver and maybe make a move. They're they're in the driver's seat right now. The Nationals, one of the best teams in baseball, probably the best team in the National League. Maybe the Dodgers are in that conversation, but they haven't really emerged yet. They're filled with depth, very talented. The Cubs really haven't been in that conversation because they haven't been playing like the way that we're used to seeing them play. So right now, National League runs through Washington because they're going to run away with that division in the East unless they monumentally collapse. However, they can coast to the postseason. They can manage their arms. They can make sure. And that's another thing. They can play with Joe Ross and make sure, hey, man, you know, if you're struggling, it's no big deal. We got a 10.5 game lead. So we're good. So the Nationals are in a good spot despite the fact that they didn't acquire sale in the offseason, which would have absolutely propelled them to, and I can't even imagine how good they'd be today. And then the loss of Adam Eaton absolutely hurts. However, they're overcoming it with the productions of even Jason Wirth, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, and of course Ryan Zimmerman. That lineup has been absolutely astounding, and their pitching staff, one through four, fantastic. So Nationals, team to beat in the National League. Come at me if you disagree. Leave a comment and a like down below if you could if you're on YouTube. We're going to end the baseball conversation here, and we're going to move on to the Chicago Bears. But before we do that, I want to thank you all for sticking around. If you're on blogtalkradio.com backslash behind the pen, YouTube, subscribe. Of course, we're on Most Available Podcasts. I'm going to come at you with more baseball conversations next week. Like I said, I want to follow this Addison Russell stuff, and I'm also going to follow the rest of Major League Baseball talked a little bit, gave a little shout out to the Astros who have been outstanding. I wanted to focus on the Nationals today because they've been quietly dominating. Maybe not so much quietly because they're the best, you know, at the top of the league, but I haven't talked about them yet this season. So there it is, guys. I hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned for the Bears segment, which will start here in a second. Again, thank you all for listening to this baseball segment. We will continue the conversations next week. And until then, we're going to move on. To the Chicago Bears, because I have to talk Bears. I always talk Bears here on Behind the Pen. We are ending the show once more with the Chicago Bears. And 
Not a lot of news going on in the Chicago Bears landscape. Of course, I can talk Mitch Trubisky every week. I'm sure you guys will get sick of it by now or by then or whenever I continue to talk about Trubisky. You guys will say, shut up, Rankin. Like, that's enough of Trubisky. We get it. I could talk Mike Lennon. I could talk about how Mike Lennon is kind of underrated, and I think he's going to be fine this year. I think he's going to—people are sleeping on Mike Lennon. I'm going to say that every single week until the Bears season um, uh, you know, starts to take shape here. I'm excited, though, for the preseason— because that means be, oh, Connor Shaw, by the way, uh, re-signed with the Bears. He was on his way uh, out of Lake Forest before being called because Mark Sanchez got hurt. He said, oh, turn around, come back, we need you, Shaw. You know, we need four quarterbacks on the roster. So Shaw's back, which is good. I'd like to see kind of the development of him. Um, also, of course, Trubisky and Glennon. Obviously, that goes without saying. But I wanted to focus this conversation today about the Chicago Bears and take a trip back to last year because, like I said, not really much in the news. I don't want to keep beating a dead horse about you know the same kind of conversations we're having about 2017 Chicago Bears. So let's look at the 2016 Chicago Bears. And were they as bad as their record says? And does that mean they're going to be bad again next year? Well, is 6-10 in 2017 considered bad? I guess it depends the way you look at it. For the best case scenario for the Chicago Bears, right? The best case scenario for the Chicago Bears moving forward is that they're competitive enough to be in the playoff race entering December, right? Mike Glennon is your quarterback. He's played every game. He's posted solid numbers. We're seeing a development of this wide receiver core. If they eventually get a younger wide receiver, who knows? That's not until the future because they're most likely going to have to draft one. But I'm talking specifically of Kevin White, of course, and Cameron Meredith. And so that's probably ideal. Also, you got to make sure that they don't get hurt, right? You want this team to be on the field, especially defensively. Guys like Danny Trevathan, hopefully Kyle Long's healthy. You know, Pernell McPhee putting together a, a full season. Akeem Hicks staying on the field. He's a monster. You know, Lamar Houston coming back, so that'll be huge. Willie Young. Guys, this team has the potential to make some noise, but not enough noise to be legitimate. But that's the best case scenario for the Bears, that they're among the playoff teams, or at least in the conversation. In the conversation. That's all that they need to be. Because that means they're taking strides forward. Because last year, boy, did they regress. And I think now the Bears can take a breath of fresh air despite the controversy going on. Really, I don't know if it's a controversy, but there's something there, right, with Glennon coming in and then out of nowhere they draft Trubisky without Glennon knowing. And Trubisky didn't even know that the Bears were going to take him, right? But that's something to kind of keep an eye on. But right now it seems like what for what we're hearing from Mike Glennon is that he is straight focused on this being his roster, his team, his season, which is good. That's how you got to do it. So ideally, Glennon plays out this season. Trubisky continues to develop. He learns. Maybe gets a snap or two late in the year. I doubt it. I've been saying that it's going to be Glennon all year unless he gets hurt. And even if he does get hurt, it might be Sanchez in before Trubisky. So there's no rush on Mr. Trubisky. But I... That, that, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. I have to talk about 2017 a little bit. So let's go back to last year. So when I look at last year, I said they were going to go 10-6 and six and make the playoffs. Okay? You can laugh at me. It's fine. They went 3-13. It's cool. And mainly because uh, Jay Cutler was coming back. Uh, again, you can laugh at me. That's cool. Huge Jay Cutler guy. You guys know that by now. However, he stuck. Uh, he was just terrible. He, he sucked. Um, and it sucked that in, in week two he got hurt. Right, and then, you know, in comes Brian Horry. So anyway, opening day against the Houston Texans, he got absolutely obliterated, did Cutler. That offensive line could not handle uh, the, the Texans' pass rush. And when we looked at that game, there was a lot of concerns. 
And it took him four weeks to implement Jordan Howard into the equation, and eventually Howard ended up being the second leading rusher in the National Football League. So that's something to be extremely excited about. This running back core now, compared to last year, has a lot of chances to improve and be, you know, it depends how Tariq Cohen plays out into the, you know, into the equation. We'll see how much they use the rest of their running backs. But anyway, anyway, we looked at that season last year in 2016, and one color went down. In stepped Brian Hoyer, and when you looked at the offensive numbers, they were putting up yards, right? 450 yards a game. But they were only scoring 17 to 20 points a game. That's not going to cut it. And eventually, when you looked at the overall numbers for the Chicago Bears in terms of scoring, they were in the bottom five. They were, they were, t- they were among the likes of Houston, the Jets, the Browns, and the Rams. Bears ended up, I'm looking at the numbers right now, 17 and a half roughly points per game, which is the fifth worst in football. That was not good, right? There was a lot of offensive things to be excited about, like Cam Meredith, specific guys. But overall, this offense just couldn't score. And that had a lot to do with, you know, the red zone offense. You can blame Dow Loggins. That's cool. But you just didn't really have a capable quarterback behind center. And I'm going to defend color all, you know, but he wasn't, he wasn't anything last year. He didn't play well. He he had one, one, two good games, played very well when he came back against the Vikings on Monday night. That was about it. Really the only game that I can remember Cutler playing well last season. So you had guys like Matt Barkley and of course, Brian Hoyer. When he broke his elbow, he broke his arm against the Packers. You know, man, that was, the season was over by then. But it was just a punch in the gut already, right? So you had to look. It was very hard to be a Bears fan last year. I admit it. I oh man, it was rough. But you know, you had to look at it with an open mind and understanding the situation that was the Bears, and it was individual performances, individual expectations, and how they could grow, specifically on the defensive end. But oh my God, it was so hard, right, to evaluate that when all of their guys were injured. And then you had Jarrell McPhee, or excuse me, not Jarrell McPhee, Penel McPhee, Jarrell Freeman being the Bears' leading tackler right last season, and he was suspended for four games. And I mean, just like that was the story of the Chicago Bears, right? You didn't really have time to evaluate guys because, well, Alshon suspended, Freeman suspended, Trevathan hurt, a lot of guys hurt, 20 guys on injured reserve. So you had to look at guys like Cravon LeBlanc. And I bring up Cravon LeBlanc because, really, interestingly enough, people hate on Cravon LeBlanc. You know, he's like an undrafted no name from the Patriots, but he was ranked, I believe, well, he was the best in terms of defending passes. Um, whenever he was thrown to, I think he had the least uh, completion percentage rate or passes defended, right? The, he was like at the top of the list among Bears corners, Bears defenders. So that's a, that's a positive. But if you're talking about a guy like Cravon LeBlanc being your next playmaker in the secondary, you got some issues. That's why the Bears did a good job in addressing that this year in the offseason as well as sort of in the draft. So, look— there, last season, there was there was problems, of course, when you looked at the offensive game plan. But defensively, when you looked at it, you had to look at L- Leonard Floyd and his progression. He almost got paralyzed. That was terrible against the Giants. That was like the worst thing ever. Um, but overall, boy, you know there there were there were some highlights, of course. And I'm just rambling on a little bit here, but that's 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 all it is. That that was all. What three and thirteen? You talk about were they a three and thirteen team? No, nah, maybe not. But when you have Matt Barkley starting almost the majority of your games, you deserve to lose 13 games, right? And, and guys like Brian Hoyer. So for those who were knocking the Mike Glennon signing, I get it. 
right? You're paying him a lot of money just to be a bridge guy. You know, the, the, whatever the way you see it, I get your frustrations with Mike Lennon, and I absolutely understand your frustrations if, you know, you look at the Trubisky draft pick and say, what the hell, there's a more you know, qualified list, or at least on paper, next year in that quarterback draft class, you could have gone a different route and taken Jamal Adams, Malik Hooker, whatever the case, Solomon Thomas, who was available no matter what you did. You didn't have to trade up to acquire one of those pieces, and they're pretty much close to as guaranteed as it gets on the defensive side. So, But at at the end of the day, they finally took a, a path in the quarterback position that you can finally say, all right, well, now we have to just run with it. Because there's so many patchworkings that the Bears have done at that spot for so many years. Cutler was the solidified piece for a while, but he was mediocre at best. Right? He ended up being legitimately 500 as a starter. So, I mean, the jury is obviously out of Mitch Trubisky, but last season, last season we had to look at very few positives in this 3-13 and club. Now, that kind of makes me feel a little bit better going into this season because there's no way, right? There's absolutely no way this team could be as bad as they were last year. But a healthy team is really the one thing that has to happen. They have to be on the field. Then you can fully evaluate John Fox. You can fully evaluate this year's draft class and even last year's draft class because we saw a lot of Ryan Pace's you know, later round picks not really making an impact on the field. So that's where we are as Bears fans right now. 6-10. and 10. Guys, 6-10, and ten, that is, for all things considered, a step in the right direction, in my opinion. But really, the record, and I'm going to continue to say this, the record shouldn't really matter. It's just the development of the specific star players, or at least you know playmakers, that we assume to be here for a while. See how they take a step forward. So, I mean, that was... Boy, I did a really terrible job in that bear segment. I think I, you know, I mean, I'm kind of upset with myself because I, I had so much in mind, right? When I when I was thinking about this segment, talking about last year's numbers, kind of making an argument to say that they weren't as bad as the numbers say, but they were. Defensively, they were about middle of the pack. I think we were ranked 15th or maybe close to the top 10 in terms of total defense, right? Defensively, uh, they were top five in defending the pass. Believe it or not, actually they were top ten. I think they were seventh, right, in terms of pass defense. So that has to be given credit to Vic Fangio and the way he, you know, manipulated the, his defensive schemes and the emergence of guys like Craven LeBlanc. And I already talked about that. So look, I, I apologize, but the, the, the Bears, guys, it's June. I got to talk Bears. So sometimes I'm just going to ramble about nothing, and hopefully I entertained you enough to keep you interested to the end of this podcast, which is actually right now. Thank you guys so much for staying tuned. If you're on blogtalkradio.com backslash behind the pen, I appreciate you listening to me talk about things and stuff for about 45 minutes here. If you're on YouTube, give a like and a comment down below. Tell me I suck. That's cool. I understand it, but I'm still going to talk Bears. I'm going to be here for you. The Bears fix right here behind the pen if you need it. Every single week, I'll have you covered. Guys, thank you again, as always, for checking in. Let me know what you want me to talk about in terms of the Chicago Bears going forward. Guys, I will happily oblige, and I will absolutely take on conversation because, of course, at this point of the offseason, unless there's breaking news, it's just, you know, wait and see until two-a-days. Training camp, mini-camp, mini-camp, eh. But training camp, right? And then the preseason, and then it starts to get going. But still a lot of time left. I talked baseball today. Cubs, bad. Nationals, good. Bears, let's go. Super Bowl, what is it, 57 this year, right? Who knows anymore? Anyway, thank you guys so much for checking out Behind the Pen this week. Come back next week for more. And, of course, as always, we will see you all next time.
Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.